Welcome, wombat folk and trolls, sorcerers and orcs, to Rated RPG, the fantasy role-playing podcast where we toss dice and have fun adventures with our friends. This is the Valley of Green Gold, Episode 5. All right, so here we are, halfway through meeting our four player characters. In episodes one and two, we met Aaron's character, Wendell the Wombat. He's a wombat folk, he's a mad scientist, and he's an aspiring necromancer. Uh, in episodes three and four, we met Dion's character, a, a human professional wrestler named Bunny DePayne, a.k.a. Ice Cold the Slab Monsoon. What he wants more than anything is just to be the best professional wrestler who ever lived. And now, as this adventuring party begins to come together, we meet Brad's character. How you doing, Brad? I'm doing great, Jason. How are you? I'm awesome. I can't wait to meet your character. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. Her name is Silbeth Orist. Silbeth Orist. That's correct. Thank you for the tongue twister, Brad. I appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> Deep in the mountainous jungles that cover the center of this continent where we are beginning your story, there are many civilizations and cultures which have thrived for thousands of years. One of these communities is the Bana Banzambe, which is roughly translated to mean the offspring of God. But in the common tongue, they're known as Ophidians, or if you're being really literal about it, snake people. And it'll help to understand Ophidians by knowing the legend of their creation. In the beginning, Nayoko Monene, the great serpent, was the first living creature in the world. It willed itself into existence from stone, fire, and smoke. As the great serpent became hungry, it created creatures to feed on. As it became lonely, it created children to keep it company. But the children couldn't exist in a place so void of life, and as the children died, the great serpent was stricken with incredible sorrow. As it wailed, its tears fell as rain upon the land, and great rivers filled the oceans. The oceans filled with life, and the land grew fruitful. As the jungle grew around it, the great serpent created beasts and creatures to call this place home. The world was now in balance, and Nayoko Monene's heart was again desirous of children. The Banabanzambe were born, and the great serpent was happy. Never wanting for its children to know the sorrow of losing their children, the great serpent stole their feelings and hid them away where they could do no harm. And that's the thing about Ophidians. They are largely emotionless. When babies are born, their parents don't feel much attachment to them because of this, so Ophidian children are raised communally in a brood nursery. And Brad, your character is no different. You never knew your parents, and after you were born, you were sent to the brood nursery. Now, another interesting thing about Ophidians is that they vary in appearance. Some are very reptilian, some are very human in appearance. Some have the head of a snake on a humanoid body, others are large snakes from the waist down, and others are so human-like that they can pass as human. What does Silbeth look like? She's very human looking. There are a couple of rather subtle giveaways. If you look closely, uh, her her eyes have kind of a, a yellowish tint to them with a slight kind of slit pupil. Mm -hmm. You have to get pretty close for it to be obvious. Also, if you look real closely, there is a very faint scale-like pattern to her skin. 
her skin is a, a little harder than a human's would be. Oh. It still looks mostly like human skin, but there are is a scale-like pattern to it. Would you describe her skin as being darker? Yeah, kind of olive complexion. Yep. Her hair is, you know, I would I would say more towards yellowish than blonde. Oh. Pretty odd for a human, but maybe not unheard of. Well, for better or worse, your clan operates as a religious caste system because the more you look like a snake, the higher your station. So if an ophidian looks human, like yourself, they are unfortunately in the lowest tier. The leader of your clan has a serpent's head and serpent body, but with humanoid arms. Her name is Queen Gazara, and she is over 100 years old. She is seen as a direct descendant of the great serpent rooted in the legend of creation. And as a very young child for Silba, things are actually pretty good. All the children are together in the brood nursery because that's very efficient to, to do it that way. You don't, you don't get separated yet. And the first couple of years of school, you're all together. And you learn, you know, you learn basic things like you would in any school. So what is Silbeth's earliest memory? Her earliest memory is a trek we took out into the jungle to uh, learn about different kinds of plants and animals that might be food or uh, useful for other things, uh, like creating poisons and things like that. She vividly remembers uh, the first time that she left the little settlement there. When you went out on that trek, one of the things that made that so memorable to you was that one of your uh, school children friends was bitten by a poisonous snake. And that's when you remember learning for the first time that snake poison and venom poison in general just doesn't affect uh, ophidians as much. You have resistance to poison. Yeah, that was real uh, surprising to me. Now, there are about 2,000 Ophidians in your clan, but you don't live in a city or even like a big village. It's spread out over about 30 square miles. But then there's a central marketplace and a number of large stone structures, including a large ziggurat. This is the temple of Nayoko Monene, sort of, a, you know, praising the great serpent that gave you all life. The adults live in the uh, scattered areas around this central point, but the children all live in brood communes. The clan raises you, and the brood communes are right there near the central marketplace. So not long after your very first memory, you get your first taste of the caste system. You're about seven years old, and a very reptilian-looking Ophidian comes into your school. He has the head of a snake and a humanoid body, and he calls on you and four other very human-looking children to come outside with him. I'll go with him. He says, you no longer need attend school. You will make contribution to the good of the clan through work. I have four tasks which need being done. But I like school. You no longer need attend school, child. Your contributions will come through work. Okay. Now, as I was saying, I have four tasks which need to be done. One, collect eggs from a snake's den in the jungle. Two, gather bird eggs from nests high in the trees. Three, gather crocodile eggs from their nests along the shore of the river. Or four, cleaning the floors in the sacred temple of Nayokomonene. Now, he says he can randomly assign these jobs. But he looks at you since you spoke up and he says, unless one of you wishes to make a case for a specific job. I say, well, snakes are uh, our animal brothers and sisters, so uh, I think I, we should go to the snakes. You shall go to the snakes. Each one of you will take on a different job. Okay. Then it shall be done. 
child, what is your name? Silbeth. Silbeth, follow me. And he leads you into the jungle. It takes about 20 minutes to walk where this snake has its den. As you walk through the jungle, give me a survival check. Seven. A seven. You're just kind of excited, I think, to, to have a job. Uh, you're not really paying a whole lot of attention to the world around you. So you don't pick up maybe on some of the clues that this could be a dangerous situation. As uh, this gentleman approaches the snake's den, you notice that this hole in the ground is big enough for you to crawl in. So it's got to be a pretty big snake in there. I'm supposed to go in that hole? Yes, child. You will go down in that hole, and you will take the snake eggs out. And he hands you a canvas satchel. Okay. I take the satchel, and I, uh... Is it tall enough for me to stand or not? No. It's a little tight, but you'd be able to crawl. Yeah, I'll, I'll shimmy down uh, kind of feet first. Okay. Give me a perception check. Not rolling well to start. Six. So with a six, uh, yeah, you don't really notice a whole lot, uh, except that you're a bit claustrophobic, and it sure is dark and dirty in here. But thankfully, you have dark vision, so you can see sort of in shades of gray up ahead, you see that the tunnel seems to turn to the right. And then you catch uh, an odor. It's a musky odor. Give me a survival check. <laughs> Natural one for a three total. You're not <laughs> You're not sure what it is. It stinks. It smells a little bit like urine, but you're not real sure what it means. Uh, up ahead, it looks like a chamber opens up, about another 10 feet ahead. Okay, I will um, very cautiously uh, inch up to the chamber. When I get far enough in, uh, I'll sit up and look around. Cautiously, you creep forward. Give me a stealth check. Six. Wow. Uh, so as you're grunting and heaving your body into this tunnel, rubbing your arms loudly against the sides, uh, you make your way to this chamber. And it's there that you see a large snake coiled up around maybe a half a dozen eggs. And the snake is ready to strike you. Roll initiative. He's looking at me? He's looking at you. She or he is looking at you. Hey, 21, natural 20. There you go. All right, now we reversed it. Okay, so uh, initiative for the uh, snake. It got a natural 20, Brad. Oh, wow. So it has, a, wow. it has a 23. So even with your natural 20, the snake is going to bite you. All right. And with a 16, that is going to hit you. You take one point of piercing damage from its fangs, and you have to make a DC 10 constitution saving throw. Eight. It's three poison damage, but you already have resistance to poison damage because you're an ophidian, so you only take one point of poison damage. If you would have made that save, you wouldn't have taken any poison damage. Okay. Could have been worse. And the snake is in front of you. You are unarmed except for your fists and this bag that you're carrying in. Do I think I can hurt it with my fists or not? That's a great question. Give me a nature check or an investigation check. I will go investigation. 18. 18. So, yes, you learn things very quickly. You're adept at investigating and deducing information fast. So you realize, yeah, if you hit this snake hard enough, you might kill it. Okay, well, I will uh, try to attack it then. I rolled a 19. Awesome. Well, that is enough to hit the snake. You're going to do damage to it. It's actually a 1d2 
plus your strength modifier, which is one. So three damage. As the snake sinks its fangs into your leg, you feel the hot rush of venom in your body, and you ball up your tiny fist and swing as hard as you can for the side of the snake's head. When you connect, you feel bones snap as the snake falls limp. Excellent. <laughs> and with that, you have killed the snake. Uh, I feel kind of like a rush of emotion. I feel I feel a little bit um, sort of proud of myself, but I also I also feel a little sad that I had to kill this snake. But I you know, I kind of knew that going in, but the reality hit me. It's the first thing I've ever killed. You gather up the snake eggs there, and there's seven snake eggs. Excellent. I'll take them. You're able to get them all and put them in your canvas pouch, and carefully you crawl out of the tunnel, taking as much time as you need so you don't break any of the eggs. You get out of the uh, tunnel, and you were really only in there for a matter of minutes, so this uh, snake-like gentleman is still standing there near the entrance, and he looks down, and he sees that you have been bitten by a snake, and he sees that you have a loaded satchel, and he says, Tell me, child, did you collect all the eggs? Yeah, there's all seven of them in here. Excellent. I punched that snake. And you killed it? It died, yes. Our survival depends sometimes upon the death of other creatures that are lesser than us. Did I do a good job? You did the job? I guess I don't understand what you mean. I, I want to know if I succeeded and, and if, uh, if I did it, if I did it well. I, 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 like, I like to be uh, doing things well. It makes me kind of warm inside. Interesting. Well, he takes you back to the uh, brood commune, the school area where you live with the other kids. And uh, the next day, he comes back again. And he's looking for you. He says, Silbeth, I have a new job for you today. Okay. I would like you to clean the floors in the sacred temple of Nayoko Monene. I don't, I don't get to go kill something? No, not today. Uh, okay, well, if that is what I need to do to do a good job, I will do it. Yes. And he guides you to the temple, and uh, he goes in first. You notice that he makes some gestures with his hands, and he utters some phrases in Ophidian before he enters. What do you do? I say, what, what was that? Ah, I was just giving thanks to the Great Serpent before I enter his home. Okay, um, I, I try to copy him. He says, you didn't do it correctly. And also, you are a child, so you don't need to. Oh. Well, I, I was just trying to do the right thing. Interesting. So he leads you into the great temple, and there is a wooden bucket there. It's full of frothy, soapy water. There's a homemade brush inside of this bucket. And he says, you may begin. And then he leaves. Okay. The floors in this temple are stone. And they are polished stone. Now, just because you are a jungle clan community doesn't mean you don't have artisans. And there are some amazing artisans in your clan. People who make buckets and people who acquire things like canvas to, to make canvas pouches and things like that. There are benches made of wood. There are art pieces hanging from the walls depicting the great serpent at the creation of the world and telling the story of the history of your clan. Do you set to doing your task? Yes, I, I start to do it, but then I, I keep finding myself drawn to, to the, the storytelling art. 
And after a while, I get kind of distracted and mesmerized and fascinated. And I, I find that I, I want to look at it more closely and examine it. Okay. Uh, give me an investigation check. We'll let you investigate and examine the uh, art pieces. 24. As you're looking at the pieces, you are learning about this story because this isn't something that they've they've spent a great deal of time drilling into you about the creation and the, the great serpent. But you pick up this entire story based on these, uh, these pieces of art that tell it. And as you're looking at the final piece of art, you hear something behind you, a slithering sound. I turn around. You turn around and you see Queen Gazara. Now you have seen her before from a great distance. She is very snake-like. The head of a snake, the body of a snake, and two humanoid arms. And she is dressed in fine gowns of silk with gold embroidery around the collar. It's a great big collar. She sort of looks like a cobra. She says to you, Child, what is your name? I know who she is, right? Yes. I am Silbeth, my queen. Why are you not doing your job, Silbeth? And I kind of realized at that moment that I got distracted. I said, oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, 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 I felt myself drawn to this art, uh, and I got distracted. I, I, I did not do a good job, Your Majesty. Ah, do you feel like you have failed me? Yes, yes, I, I should have done better. I don't, I don't like how I'm feeling right now. Give me an insight check. 16. She is reading you. She's trying to pick up on something deeper than what you're just saying. She's trying to pick up the meaning behind what you're saying. And she says to you, Silbeth, as the children of Nayoko Monene, we've been given a great gift. We do not suffer the trappings of emotion like the outsiders. We feel no anger. We feel no sadness. We are guided by reason and selfless practicality. But long ago, humanity found the Bano Banzembe, and despite our efforts to keep the outsiders away, human blood has found its way into our clan throughout the generations. These dalliances took from us our closeness to God. I am the queen of our clan because I am a reflection of the great serpent, and you are cleaning floors in the temple because you are not. Are you saying I'm... I'm bad? You are poisoned by emotion. You are tainted by humanity. You are not a true child of Nayoko Manene. That's not true. Go back to the brood commune, Silbeth, and continue to contribute to the clan. If you are worthy, your life will be meaningful. This isn't fair. I, I find I find like water is coming into my eyes, and I feel kind of fluttery and bad. Silbeth, you must go back to the brood commune. Yes, your majesty. I go back to the commune, but I'm kind of seething inside at the unfairness of all this. As you're laying there in bed that night, these emotions manifest in your body in a way that feels like a hot ball of energy. You feel that there's something more to it. Like, it's not just that you feel feelings. It's that the feelings are opening something up inside of you, and you're not exactly sure what. Now, the next day, again, the uh, serpent gentleman comes and he says, Silbeth, please come with me to the temple. 
He leads you to the temple, and again, he says the phrase, and he makes some gestures with his hands. Uh, what do you do? I ask him, I say, uh, you said I didn't need to do that because I'm a child. Is it really because I'm not pure? You are not pure. You do not need to praise the great serpent because you are not one of its children. I'm going to prove to you, all of you, that you're wrong. I am a child of the serpent just like all of you. Please enter. And he walks into the temple. Tell me what I need to do to be just as good as everyone else. He ignores you. And as he enters the temple, you see the queen sitting in the middle of the room. And she says, Silbeth, I have prayed on this to our father. You need to leave the clan immediately. But I, I have friends here. Friends? Yes, my, my classmates uh, and, and my teachers. I, they're my friends. You are a danger to us all, Silbeth. You have emotions inside of you. This is humanity, and this is why we must demand that you leave. It is at this very moment that Silbeth feels a surge of magic spring forth inside of her. This is an outrage against you, Silbeth. You are being exiled from your family, from your friends, your community that you cannot live without through no fault of your own because you feel emotion. Brad, I need you to roll a d20 and I'll tell you what happens. Okay, a one. Well, that happens to be exactly the number you needed to roll in order to experience a wild magic surge. Whoa. So, if you have your table handy... I do. Let's see what happens. I rolled a 23. A 23 says cast hold person as a fourth level spell. Oh, dude. Oh, awesome. <laughs> you choose a humanoid you see within range, but because you're casting it at a fourth level, that means you can choose both of these humanoids that are in front of you. Yes, I will. They both must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or be paralyzed for up to a minute. Now, you don't need to concentrate on this spell because this is wild magic. And let's see if they are able to uh, resist. So with your wild magic, the saving throw is based on your charisma. What is their target? 14. Neither of them are able to make the 14, and they are both paralyzed. What do you do? Well, I'm, I stand there stunned, un, not fully understanding what just happened. I know it, it came from me, and I realize... You know, this is really bad. If someone came in here and saw this, I would be in immense trouble. Yeah. I reluctantly realize that their demand that I leave is true now. And so I just run out of the village. Yeah, this energy burst out of you in a way that you had no control over. And as it hit them, they froze in place. The terror of that, like, here's this child You've been telling this child they have to leave because they are a danger. And now the child has proven not only to you, but also to herself that she is a danger. So you take off running out of the temple and uh, you can run to the north, but that takes you to the mountains. And the mountains you understand to be kind of dangerous. You can uh, run to the south. That would take you to the river. Now, if you wanted to go further south, you'd have to cross the river. Uh, or you could take the river to the east or the river to the west. So what is your what is your option here? I will run towards the river. 
Do you stop anywhere to get any things, supplies, or anything like that? Yes, there there are a few things that I think I'm going to need if I'm out in the jungle. So yes, I stop uh, I stop at my nest bed and gather a few of my most important possessions. Okay, what would those be? Yeah, I'm assuming I don't have anything like weapons at this point, correct? No, not yet. Yeah, so I will gather up sort of the little bedroll that I sleep on. I've stashed uh, some snacks. I'll grab those, Mm -hmm. and I'll grab a a water skin. Okay. Uh, I have a little charm on a necklace that I've always had, and I have no idea where it came from or how I got it. Okay. But I've always had it, so I'm going to grab that. What does that look like, that charm? It's got a heart in it, and it says, I love you on it, but I have no idea where it came from. Interesting. Well, you grab your supplies, your water skin and your rations, and then as you're heading out of your nest area, you are running past the marketplace. Give me a perception check. 14. You see two things. One, on a table, you see a dagger, uh in front of a small tent, like a shop. You're running right past it. You could try to steal it, could try to grab it. You don't have any money, so you couldn't buy it, but that's an option. And then also at that same table, or kind of around the corner of the tent, there's a rack with some weapons and a couple of the weapons are quarter staffs. That might be easier to steal, but of course they're bigger. Sure. Or you could stop, I guess, and try to convince the shopkeeper to allow you to have the thing. Well, I guess, I guess at this point, I'm thinking more easy to get, so I, I will go for the quarterstaff. So before you do that, you ran out of the temple, you ran into the uh, the brood nursery, you quickly rummaged around in your nest and you grabbed your stuff. And about that same time, it, the uh, spell effects would be wearing off in the temple. And so as you're standing in front of this merchant tent, heading toward this quarterstaff, you hear... Find the child, Silbeth. She must be stopped. Coming from the temple stairs of the ziggurat. Would that be behind me or? It's behind you. Okay. Well, I'm still going to try to grab that staff and keep running. All right. Give me a sleight of hand check. 20. You have that staff in your hand and you are gone like a shot before the shopkeeper even realizes you're standing there. People are looking around, looking for Silbeth, the child. Most of them don't know who you are, like they don't know what you look like, but they're looking around for anyone looking suspicious, perhaps a child who's running as you are. Give me an athletics or acrobatics check. Nine. You hear the guards behind you yelling into the crowd. She is a young girl. Find the child. The people are just too aware. You can't run and jump your way through anymore. Now you have to try to sneak. I'm going to have you give me a stealth check, Brad. But before you do that, Silbeth has an ability called Tides of Chaos. The same chaos that fuels her magic can give her advantage on an attack roll, a saving throw, or a skill check. But to access that chaos, you have to take a level of emotion, which makes a wild magic surge more likely. I will do that. So what'd you get? I got three uh, without advantage, but with the advantage, I rolled a natural 20 for a 21. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Just as the people around you are hearing the description of who they're supposed to be looking for, you duck down and roll underneath a wagon that's on the edge of the marketplace. On the other side of the wagon, is some thick brush. So you scurry into that thick brush for cover and you walk along the edge of the marketplace undercover and you get to the edge of the city. Are you heading south, you said? Yes, towards the river. You have lost the guards who are looking for you. As you uh, travel south, it takes you about 20 minutes to get to the river. 
And as you get to the river, you see how wide and how just fast moving this river water is. This might be pretty dangerous to cross, but you also notice that there are a half a dozen canoes and there are some other ophidians standing down by the riverside fishing. Some of them are getting ready to, they're loading fishing gear and stuff into a canoe. They're getting ready to go out. Uh, I mean, you could wait for them to leave and steal a canoe, or perhaps you could approach them and talk to them and maybe talk them into uh, either giving you a ride across the river or up or down the river. Have I met any of them before? Uh, you don't think you have. They, they are all half snake. Some of them have snake heads, and some of them are just covered in scales but look human. And, and uh, do I know anything about, like, what's beyond the river or what's up or down the river? Do I know anything about that? You don't. Uh, you've never been educated about what lies uh, beyond the river. As children, you're kept safest by only learning the things you need to learn. Well, I, so, I sort of ha I have this natural instinct that, you know, maybe it's, it's not the best idea for me to try to survive by myself at this age. So I'm going to go up to one of them and say, hello, I'm looking for some information. Oh, hello, child. What can I help you with? I am on a mission to trade with some humans, uh, but I, I am a little bit lost. I don't know which way they are. Can you tell me where some humans are? I am going to have you make a deception check. Because of the situation, you are a child, and you uh, you, you have uh, a satchel that's got some things in it and a, and a staff, and this is unusual. Uh, they don't usually send children to deal with outsiders, so give me a deception check. Sure. A 15. So with a 15, he squints his snaky eyes at you and says, That's interesting, but I suppose I can help you. You're trying to find a human settlement. Yes, that's right. I can tell you that there's an old outsider encampment a few miles down the river. We've not seen anyone there in weeks, but perhaps humans would be happening by at some point, and it would provide you shelter while you waited. There is another option. An outsider village is about a week-long walk to the south through the jungle. We could take you across the river. This close place is on this side of the river and the far place is on the other side? They are both on the other side of the river. I could take you down the river to the settlement, or I could just take you across the river and, well, then you'd have to walk through the jungle. Well, I, I will go to the settlement and, uh, and wait there for a while. And he finishes loading his fishing gear in the boat, and uh, he asks for you to get in. Now, there are two Ophidians. He's sort of the, the captain of the canoe, as it were, and the other one is a younger Ophidian and seems to be more about the labor of the process. And it takes about an hour to get down to the settlement. It's right along the river, and as you approach it, you can tell that it is abandoned. It looks abandoned. There is a large hut, sort of an open-sided wood structure that has a thatch roof on it. Uh, some of the thatch has fallen off, so it doesn't look like it's going to be like weather tight or anything. And there are some other smaller wooden structures built around a cage, perhaps a fire pit that uh, you can see from the river. And as they uh, pull up to the river bank, the Ophidian that you spoke with says, well, this is the settlement. If you don't need any additional assistance, you may exit the canoe. Thank you for your help. My name is uh, Sorios. Sorios. Give me a deception check. Eleven. Interesting. Well, Sarios, uh, I bid you adieu. 
Thank you. And they continue on down the river in the canoe, further perhaps to a to a fishing spot. Give me a perception check. 22. As you look around this encampment, you notice that there have been some other smaller hut-like structures that have collapsed deeper in the jungle. This one open-air structure does need a little bit of work, but uh, there are some uh, chunks of firewood sitting near this this old fire pit. Do any of the structures have any places that I could be very concealed in? You could make them that way. The ones that are collapsed... You know, you'd have to move some wood, you'd have to move some timbers, and it's pretty hot in the jungle, and it's the middle of the day. You know, maybe not feeling like getting super exhausted doing this. This main structure that's sort of an open-air frame with a roof on it, yeah, if you pulled some uh, some brambles and some, some brush and leaves and stuff from the jungle, you could create enough of a shelter there where you'd be uh, sheltered from eyesight from the river. I'm smart enough to know that because of what I did now, there might be pursuit uh, after me. So I'm going to do what I can without getting totally exhausted to, you know, have some shelter where I'm very concealed. I'll kind of wait a few hours to see if anyone is pursuing me. Give me a stealth check to see how well you're able to hide yourself. Eleven. It's not bad, but uh, you're not an engineer, so maybe somebody could see you from the river. But you take your time. You don't get exhausted. You're drinking your water. And after a couple of hours, you get a small structure built underneath this larger framework, and you're able to find some shade in there. And as the sun begins to go down in the afternoon and evening, you are eating your rations, you realize you've got about another three days worth of rations there if you're just going to sit and wait. Okay. So what do you do? I'm going to see if uh, I can go outside the outskirts of the settlement to see if there's any food that I can gather, plants that I can collect, or an easy animal kill or something like that. Foraging, that sort of thing. Yeah. Give me a survival check with advantage. 20. You are able to find some grubs inside of a log. They're not appetizing. They're not very appealing, but you know that they will sustain you. You've learned that much. And as you uh, go around, you find some leaves that have collected rainwater. Because as you've been building this uh, little shield structure inside this thing, uh, it rained. And at least for now, you you have a few extra grubs in your pouch. So you're not going to starve at least for the next couple of days. Okay. I'm going to wait in my little structure for one more day and see if anyone's either anyone's pursuing me or anyone else comes to the encampment. All right. Give me a perception check. Eight. The jungle is full of life. And at night especially, you're trying to sleep, but you're also a bit afraid. So as you're falling asleep, you have this feeling of fear. This is on your first night, and you already have one level of this pent-up emotion inside of you. And the fear that you feel as you hear the jungle sort of coming alive in the darkness around you, even though you have dark vision, it's kind of a scary proposition. So you take another level of this emotional energy inside of you. Roll a d20, and this time, since you have two levels, on a one or a two, the wild magic surges. Eleven. You're able to stifle those feelings, and for the first time you realize, like, okay, I can use this to my advantage in a situation that calls for it, or I can try to keep it down. And if I keep it down inside of me, it doesn't surge. Okay, so you're learning a little bit about that magic already. Great. But as that night turns and you fall asleep, you get bit by a few little bugs and things like that, but you sleep soundly through the night without being disturbed. Excellent. The next day, again, the morning starts with a lot of rain as you are in the jungle. 
this time you do get a bit wet and uncomfortable. And as the sun comes up and it gets unbearably hot, you are just sitting there alone and you're waiting and you're not seeing anyone on the river. It doesn't seem like anybody's coming after you. No other signs of uh, activity or humans uh, throughout the day? No. Give me an insight check. 11. Well, being so in tune with your emotions, or at least having them, you're thinking a lot. You're, you spend a lot of time in your own head. And one of the things that occurs to you is, hey, even if they knew that I had a canoe that took me down here, they probably just want me out of the clan. Like, they don't want me to come back. They're not going to bring me back and execute me or anything. Mission accomplished, right? Like, you got rid of her. Good. Okay. Another thing that you noticed after you woke up after your long rest, you didn't feel that ball of energy in your chest anymore. That emotion has gone, and you realize a good night's rest seems to clear the slate. Okay. Something else occurs to you, that if you're able to take about an hour and just take some deep breaths and think about things that make you happy and make you feel safe, like this necklace around your neck that's got the little heart on it, the charm that says, I love you. If you, you know, hold on to that and, and think about that, that tends to calm you down. So that can reduce you, your levels of this uh, pent-up emotional magic energy inside of you. Now, as the second day becomes afternoon and evening, still nobody has happened by. What do you do? Well, I'm going to do some more foraging. Give me another survival check. Four. Now, this time you have played out all of the places where you could find grubs. It has been raining, but you're not in need of water as much as you are in food. So you end up eating another one of your rations. So now you have one day's worth of rations left. Okay. I'm feeling it might be time to, to move on, but I'm not confident enough to travel at night yet. So I'm actually going to try to start a fire. Give me another survival check. See how well you do this. Twelve. All right. It's something you've learned, and it does take you a little while, but you're able to get a fire going in the fire pit. And that at least you're able to dry your clothes with it and feel somewhat safe because fire, as you know, scares away jungle creatures that might happen by in the night. So good move there. You might have prevented yourself being attacked in the night. Excellent. And as you curl up by the fire and get a good night's sleep again and a bunch more bug bites, uh, you wake up the next morning well rested. And this morning's not a rainy jungle morning. This is a sunny jungle morning. Okay. So what do you do? First thing I'm going to do is a, a very thorough search of this encampment to see if there are any boats or anything I might be able to float down the river on. Give me an investigation check. 20. Okay. So when you first got there, you know, you looked around, you looked under things, you lifted up the thatched roof pieces and tried to find if there was anything hiding under these collapsed buildings. But you didn't do a thorough enough job because now that you've spent even more time, you find a small chest underneath one of the collapsed buildings. Okay, is, uh, is it locked or anything? Uh, it looks like it has a lock on it, but it's awfully rusted. If you whack it with your staff or hit it with a rock, you might be able to break it off. I will punch down on it with the butt of my staff. All right, give me an attack roll with your staff. That would be an eight. That's enough to do the trick. The lock snaps in two pieces. The chest can be opened. I do. Inside the chest, you see a small leather pouch, and on top of that pouch is a letter. I will read the letter. Thankfully, you've learned enough of the common tongue in your Ophidian school that you are able to read this letter, and it reads, Please take these things, for they shall keep you safe on your long journey. Signed, Duke Jason of the Grand Duchy of Smirt. Okay. 
Okay, real quick aside, because I gotta explain this a little bit better. The table of potentially decent random stuff is something you're gonna hear from time to time in the Valley of Green Gold. That's a D100 table, and it's posted on our blog on our website, ratedrpgpodcast.com. Go ahead and check it out. Use it in your own game. It's, it's fun. Our top two Patreon tiers grant our players these roles on the table, much like in-game patrons might send gifts to their adventuring friends. As you might recall in Episode 4, Dion's character Ice Cold got those black leather shoes and 17 gold from Duke's Turtle and Crow. But here's something I didn't really explain. If something other than gold is rolled, like those black shoes, there's a 1 in 20 chance that the thing they get is cursed. I'll be making those rolls secretly, and the players and you won't know if something's cursed until we all get to find out together. Won't that be fun and exciting and a fun surprise for the players? Let's get back to the game. Brad, I need two D100 rolls. Excellent. Uh, first one is a 52. Ooh, a small but perfectly baked fruit pie oozing with moist juices. Definitely for eating. Excellent. It's perfectly preserved in this uh, in this rusty, old, moldy chest, but it is a luscious fruit pie. Okay, excellent. And second roll is a 20. A hand-carved wooden turkey call. Wow, cool. I'll blow on it just for fun. You blow on it, and if there are any jungle turkeys hanging about locally here, uh, they would come running. Got it. It just seems like a weird bird call to you. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like any bird that you're familiar with. Yeah. By the way, uh, the I love you on my locket is also in common. Yeah, I love you wouldn't be something Ophidians would say because they just don't feel love. Yeah, it's interesting. Correct. What about my search for a watercraft? Uh, you don't turn up any canoes or anything like that, but you do figure out that if you take some of the logs from some of the collapsed structures, you can use some rope that you found and wrap that all up and make a, a suitable raft that would get you downstream. Okay, uh, I'll try that. Your 1,000th survival check so far of the <laughs> session. A four. Well, your raft building skills are trash. Uh, it's yeah. just not your thing. Um, so you put it in the water and the thing just comes apart. Maybe the rope is too uh, too rotted, too moldy. Right. It's, it's just not working out. Yeah. Do I recall, did he say it was uh, a, a week away on foot or by water? Uh, it, was, it was a week away on foot. So what you gathered from your conversation with him is that the river that you were on uh, extends to the east and, and to the west. And then if, you, if you're if you on this side that you're on of the river, you continue on foot further to the south, about a week, and then you'll arrive at another river, and along that river is a settlement. Okay. Well, um, at this point, I don't have a lot of choice, so I'm just going to start walking All right. Uh, in in the direction that he told me that the, uh, the city was in, or the village, or whatever it was. Sure. Um, and uh, every day I will attempt to forage, and every night I will build a fire. All right. So you take your time, and you really consider all of the things that you need to survive, because you're a very thoughtful and thorough individual. You use your investigative skills. You, uh, you use your perception to see different things in the jungle. A, a frog, a big frog, and you know that's not a poison frog. I can kill that and I can eat it. Oh, a bird's nest, they have eggs in them. I'll eat those. A snake's nest, which you encounter on day four, you're able to 
jam your staff in there and kill the snake and take some of the eggs and eat those. So you are able to sustain yourself. All right. And uh, it is halfway through your journey on about day four that uh, you realize that as it's getting to be dark, you need to set up camp. And so you start to gather up some twigs and things to build a small fire. And as you build this small fire, it's just getting dark. Uh, you get this feeling like you're being watched. Give me a perception check. Nine. Okay, you look all around and you don't see anything, but you still feel like something or someone is watching you. I'm going to pretend to go to sleep, but uh, not, and keep my hands on my quarterstaff. So as you're laying there, you hear the sounds of something, footsteps, perhaps an animal, the occasional crunch of a stick, and it sounds like it's getting closer to you. I peek through my barely open eyes and see if I see anything. Give me another perception check. 20. As you peek through your nearly closed eyelids, you see the glint of moonlight reflected in a jungle cat's eye. Okay. It's a small but vicious predator, and it is getting ready to pounce. Roll initiative. And that is episode five of The Valley of Green Gold. The Rated RPG Podcast comes out with a new episode every Monday at midnight central time here in the U.S., and it's available on all the major podcast services. But what is not available on a podcast service is our live stream only adventure, Cult Busters. That happens on Twitch on the last Tuesday evening of every month. But we do post our archived live streams on our website, so you can check out the character creation and session zero of Cult Busters at RatedRPGPodcast.com. Neither the Rated RPG livestream nor podcast would be possible without our amazing Patreon supporters and friends like Nopi, Plasto Joe, and Manflesh. We raise a glass and toast the health of the gorgeous Phoenix Brigade. Members in good standing include Anna, Scott McGrath, and Mongoose. The wanted poster of Wendell the Wombat that's on our blog was created by Mongoose. Thank you, Duke Jason of the Grand Duchy of Smirt. Thanks to Jason's in-game gift in this episode, Brad's character found a luscious fruit pie and a turkey call. Are they cursed? I don't know. Time will tell. We'll find out together. All items that are rolled on the table of potentially decent random stuff get replaced with new items, and you can check it out on our blog at ratedrpgpodcast.com. Thank you to Lord Deputy Chris Fail for adjudicating the construction of Me Bay Beachside Estates. That decision will directly impact our world in upcoming episodes. And in Episode 7, a fresh issue of the Merchant Harbor Gazette will find its way into the hands of Emery's character. We'll reveal the headlines that put GBS Trek, Spidey Mouse, Weary Traveler, and Super Justin 64 on the front page. The Merchant Harbor Gazette tier in Patreon is $25 a month, and in addition to getting in the paper, you get a rated RPG t-shirt that doesn't exist anywhere else. Good news, bad news. Just a few days ago, we found a really agreeable cleric to resurrect all the folks in the bucket of friends. Bad news. Great White Spark was testing out what he thought was a scroll of Featherfall. Turns out it was a scroll of Firefall. So now, so now he's back in the bucket. If you choose to support Rated RPG through Patreon, not only do we thank you like this, but you might get cool rewards, and you could have a place in the lore of the Valley of Green Gold or our live stream Cult Busters. Go to RatedRPGPodcast.com and take a look. On behalf of everyone around Ye Old Gaming Table, thank you for enjoying the Rated RPG Podcast.